he concludes this message with a warning. If we give up this responsibility, it is certain that we are condemned to repeat, without any displacement, the modern neurosis, the Western schizophrenia, paranoia, and so on. In short, we have not worked through our postmodern neurosis. We have not been able to stabilize narrative knowledge, neither culturally nor personally. Therefore, we are repeating many of the neuroses that we find in modernism. Welcome to The Neutral Ground. So I successfully gave my paper at the 2022 Psychology and the Arts Conference this past week. And as promised, I wanted to share some of my work with you so that you can better understand some of the things that I'm working on. Now, this particular paper is going to be a chapter in my book on neo-modernism. And it talks about neo-modern despair and the role that the superheroes, specifically the Marvel Cinematic Universe, plays in potentially our ability to push back against this neo-modern despair. I should also mention that the parameters of the conference presentations are it needs to be between 15 and 20 minutes. Why I'm telling you that is because this chapter is already about 20 to 21 pages. I had to hack that down to 11 to get it to fit within the 15 to 20 minute parameters of the presentations. So you might hear me say something and then you might want to go, wait a minute, slow down. W what did you mean by that? I get to explain that a little bit better in the actual chapter, not so much in the conference. The way that I tend to think of these conferences is they're really good for getting your idea out, for clarifying the idea, getting it out to the public, and getting good feedback. And I actually did get some really good feedback. I got some positive comments about where I'm going with it, and I got some things that I need to look into more carefully, which is always great. I appreciate it. So let me go ahead and, and read this paper so that you too can be kind of acquainted with what I'm working on. The title of my paper is Breaking Through the Neo-Modern Despair, How the Marvel Cinematic Universe Produced a Moment of Awe. In late April 2019, I was finishing up teaching three sections of writing and critical inquiry with my mostly first-year group, of students when Avengers Endgame, the final film of the third phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, MCU, spanning over a decade, had just completed its first full weekend run, April 26th through the 28th, with great success. I came to my classes early on purpose because I wanted to ask my students about their experiences watching the film. So I asked them, what did you think of Endgame? The response that I received was complete silence and not the kind of silence that teachers grow accustomed to at times. This was an existential void of sound. Then, one student blurted out, I was bawling. I should mention that this particular student had not said much throughout the semester, a very quiet young man. Nonetheless, his confession opened up the space for more voices and opinions. There were quite a few students who admitted to being moved to tears multiple times throughout the movie. When I asked why they thought they had such a reaction, they became quiet again. But I could see that they were genuinely trying to think about my question and didn't quite know how to respond. We started to discuss specific scenes from the film, and we were laughing and smiling, 
Students were talking about the return of all the lost characters for the big fight at the end, the reunion hug between Tony Stark and Peter Parker, and Captain America wielding the famous weapon Mjolnir, Thor's hammer. This final example of Captain America simply being shown holding this hammer in his hand elicited the greatest response from my students. They started to talk about how this particular scene was one of the ones that made them cry the most. My lesson for the day was tanked. What was in front of me seemed much more important to discuss. I went home and started to search online to see if others were reporting feeling moved to tears by the film. What I found was remarkable. Videos from around the world of theater reactions to this moment of Captain America holding Thor's hammer. People overwhelmed with joy and excitement, completely removed from the world around them, each one with millions of views. I found posts on Reddit and blogs talking about how the MCU, and particularly Captain America's storyline, provided strength and hope in times of great depression and even suicidal ideation. With all due respect to the great director Martin Scorsese, he had some less-than-kind comments for superhero films. What happened in that movie, at that moment, was something much more important than cinema. A unifying and expansive experience of awe. An important feeling for cutting through the neo-modern despair that we find so prevalent in today's culture, especially in Generation Z. My paper today has three goals. First, I want to briefly touch upon Keltner and Haidt's themes for experiencing awe. Secondly, I want to establish what I mean when I say neo-modern despair through Jean-Francois Lyotard and Agnes Heller's warnings about the loss of narrative knowledge in postmodernism. And finally, I want to break down this iconic, powerful scene from Avengers Endgame in order to better understand how this moment is constructed and specifically why it elicits awe. In the past two decades, there has been increased interest in the study of awe within the fields of psychology and sociology, although the attention is not limited to those fields. Environmental ethicists are wrestling with the pros and cons of using awe as a tool for establishing greater connections between individuals and current ecological concerns. Technologists are using awe to help create more satisfying user experiences in virtual reality environments. And linguists are even looking into the role that metaphors potentially play in eliciting awe and how this connection can be used as a means of imposing authority on others. However, despite this renaissance of interest, as Bonner and Friedman point out, like many perplexing concepts, awe suffers from considerable ambiguity of meaning, despite its importance. Nonetheless, we are starting to get a better sense of how to define it and how it functions. In Keltner and Haidt's seminal study from 2003, they identify two central themes for awe, that the stimulus is vast and that it requires accommodation. Vastness refers to anything that is experienced as being much larger than the self or the self's ordinary level of experience or frame of reference. And although vastness can be a marker of physical size, it can also involve social size, such as fame, authority, or prestige. Accommodation refers to the Piagetian process of adjusting mental structures that cannot assimilate a new experience. There are five additional themes that Keltner and Haidt refer to in their study, which I will speak about a little later in the presentation. But vastness and accommodation are the most collectively agreed upon themes connected with experiencing awe. 
One possible reason for the renewed interest in awe is the promise that it has shown in addressing some of our most immediate concerns in society. At this point, it is no secret that there is a mental health crisis when it comes to Generation Z, those who were born between 1997 and 2012. These young adults often report experiencing increased levels of anxiety, depression, trauma, and stress. In 2019, the APA reported the results from their Stress in America survey, and things look particularly dank for Generation Z. They report more than 9 in 10 Gen Z adults, 91%, said they have experienced at least one physical or emotional symptom because of stress, such as feeling depressed or sad, 58%, or lacking interest, motivation, or energy, 55%. Only half of all Gen Zs feel like they do enough to manage their stress. What is at the root of these horrifying numbers for Generation Z? Some sociologists, such as Jonathan Haidt, have placed the bulk of the blame on social media, particularly the like and retweet technologies. However, I believe that social media is merely an amplification tool of something that is deeply embedded within our culture. I have previously hinted at the term neo-modern despair. I would like to address it here. Neo-modernism is our current reaction to postmodern skepticism and the collapse of not simply meta-narratives, but narrative knowledge. As Leotard states in The Postmodern Condition, lamenting the loss of meaning in postmodernity boils down to mourning the fact that knowledge is no longer principally narrative. But it isn't just about mourning the loss of narrativity. In his 1986 essay, Defining the Postmodern, Leotard tells us that it is our responsibility to work through the past in order to discover hidden meanings of life. He concludes this message with a warning. If we give up this responsibility, it is certain that we are condemned to repeat, without any displacement, the modern neurosis, the Western schizophrenia, paranoia, and so on. In short, we have not worked through our postmodern neurosis. We have not been able to stabilize narrative knowledge, neither culturally nor personally. Therefore, we are repeating many of the neuroses that we find in modernism, but with new problems, neo-modern ones. In her 2006 essay, entitled What is Postmodernism? A Quarter of a Century After, Agnes Heller, a philosopher at the forefront of neo-modern thinking, not only affirms Leotard's warning, but she follows it through to its logical conclusion. She states, The decomposition of the grand narrative was reinforced by the experience of increasing globalization from two additional aspects. First, because spatiality begins to play as important a role as temporality in historical narratives, and time experience appears as space experience. Second, because almost every people, group, ethnicity, religion, form of life, or culture seeks to establish its own identity slash difference within a shared slash modern culture. The collapse of communal narrative knowledge in late postmodernism has led to an intense contraction into the self and a yearning to stabilize personal narratives. As Heller alludes to, we are self-fashioning, attempting to rebuild narrative knowledge, but not necessarily collectively, even when we are in groups. However, Embedded within this pursuit is the struggle for control, for there is power in authoring, in the creation of narrative knowledge. But the more we attempt to assert full creative order over ourselves, 
the more we become consciously aware of how little power we actually have to author our lives. This leads to a particular feeling of incompleteness. As David Bosworth puts it, the price of consciousness then is the uncertainty caused by its incompleteness. And since the more conscious we are, the more we are aware of that incompleteness. I would argue that this essential uncertainty, this felt discrepancy between what actually exists and what we rationally can know of existence, between the infinity of out there and the finiteness of me, is the most profound and honest reaction of a man to this world. What Bosworth touches upon here, but does not explore deeply enough, is that residing in this space of felt discrepancy between the infinity of out there and the finiteness of me is not only traumatic, but downright potentially destructive to the individual's ability to function in a healthy capacity within the collective social constructs of humanity, setting up a dangerous duality. The infinity out there comes to represent the forces of chaos, a space where creativity and self-fashioning cannot exist. The finiteness of me becomes a space of control, a site for building stabilized narratives of the self. We have seen this before. This contraction in the face of chaos is very much in line with what people experienced in modernism. We need only recall the final moments between Marlowe and Kurtz in Conrad's Heart of Darkness to understand how a hyperconscious self-narrativization and constant contraction into the self can deteriorate into despair and a yearning for self-destruction. Marlowe tells us, I saw on that ivory face the face uh, I saw on that ivory face the expression of somber pride, of ruthless power, of craven terror, of an intense and hopeless despair. Did he live his life again in every detail of desire, temptation, and surrender during that supreme moment of complete knowledge? He cried in a whisper at some image, at some vision. He cried out twice, a cry that was no more than a breath. The horror, the horror. We need to pay attention to what Marlowe is saying here. Kurtz lives his life again in that moment, meaning he narrativizes his existence. He contracts so far into himself, removes all bonds of human connection, that there is nothing left to contemplate but intense and hopeless despair. In my opinion, we face a similar problem today, but it is a neo-modern despair in that, although we have been here before and even understand the importance of resisting the urge to contract so far into the self that we sever our bonds to the outside world, there are new complications that have come with advancements in technology. Social media gives us the appearance of connectivity and expansion, but we seem to not reap the benefits of these experiences. I do not believe we can philosophize or rationalize ourselves out of neo-modern despair. Our answers must be phenomenological. They must be expansive. Recent studies in awe are providing some hope, however, with certain caveats. In a 2018 study by Craig Anderson et al., a group of undergraduate college students were taken on a rafting trip where they were exposed to nature and then asked to answer Likert-scale questions about well-being and compose short narratives about their experiences each day. At the end of the study, Anderson concludes, the more nature experiences people had over the 14-day diary period, the more daily awe they experienced. 
the greater daily life satisfaction they reported, which in turn was related to greater improvements in longitudinal well-being at follow-up. There is a growing body of empirical research supporting the relationship between nature, awe, and well-being. But there are two glaring problems. Obviously, not everyone has such awe-inspiring environments available to them for inducing such an experience, nor the monetary resources for such trips. And although the use of psychedelics has also seen a surge in interest for their ability to create such experiences, laws at a state-by-state level in the United States prohibit many individuals from gaining access to such therapies. Therefore, we need to be able to look to other sources, more readily accessible ones that can also create potential sites for awe. I believe that a careful study of the Marvel Cinematic Universe can help us in this regard, a return to meta-narratives. To better understand why a character simply lifting a hammer can have such a profound effect on such a large group of people, we need to revisit a scene from the 2015 film, Avengers Age of Ultron. In this movie, all of the main Avengers are sitting around a coffee table just drinking and laughing. On top of the table sits Mjolnir. The conversation turns to why only Thor can lift the Asgardian weapon, and it is revealed that the weapon can only be handled by those who are worthy. We are then treated to a fun montage of Hawkeye, Bruce Banner, Iron Man, War Machine, all trying to lift the weapon, but it will not budge. This scene alone is worth some time to discuss because Mjolnir is saying that all of these heroes are not worthy enough to wield it, including Iron Man, the character who will ultimately save all of humanity in the final moments of the great battle at the end of Endgame. Then, Steve Rogers. Captain America gives it a try, and something happens. It moves. Ever so slightly, and only really perceptible to two audiences, Thor, whose laughter at all the other attempts becomes a moment of serious contemplation, and those of us in the audience who saw it move and could hear it just barely scrape the glass of the coffee table. This will be an important moment to keep in mind as we fast forward now to 2019's Endgame. At a crucial point toward the end of the film, Endgame, Thor is being slowly killed by the evil despot Thanos. The camera cuts to Mjolnir slowly lifting off the ground. At this point, most fans already suspect what is going to happen. Memories of the coffee table scene fire and prepare us for what we deem to be inevitable. The hammer zooms across the screen, stunning Thanos, and then starts to return back from whence it came, and we are treated to a heroic vision of Captain America holding Mjolnir. Thor, in severe pain, murmurs, I knew it a callback to his suspicions from the table scene in Age of Ultron. This scene is not simply a recognition of Steve Rogers' worthiness. It is an implicit acknowledgement of our own, of our ability to choose quality leaders. We want Captain America to be recognized as such because we deemed him to be so over a body of work that spans more than a decade. However, in the back of our minds is the knowledge that we, as a species, do not always make the best choices when it comes to leaders. Humans are flawed. We can follow power into great evil. Charisma is not synonymous with good. Therefore, we know we cannot trust our own judgments with any sense of certitude, which is why we need something external. 
The presence of Mjolnir, something that is outside of the realm of human corruption, allows us to trust its judgments of both Captain America and ourselves. After all, it rightfully knew when Thor was unworthy to wield it, and denied him access to its powers in the first Thor film of 2011, so we know that it is not biased. You are either worthy or not. We might be reticent to confer the status of awe to this moment because of its blatantly fictional nature, as in it needs to be obviously fictionalized, in order to achieve its intentions of maneuvering in and out of a supernatural world where a human with powers is somewhat of a commonality. However, when we take into account Keltner and Heights' previously mentioned five additional themes or ways that awe can manifest itself, threat, beauty, ability, virtue, and supernatural causality, we actually find that this particular superhero moment might be the best example of awe that we currently have in cinema. Captain America embodies all of these themes throughout his storyline, and they coalesce in the scene in question with Thor's hammer. Let's dissect this cinematic moment with these themes in mind. Firstly, Rogers is clearly faced with both a personal and existential threat in his confrontation with Thanos. In fact, there is little doubt that without additional forces, he would have been killed by the despot. Secondly, it would be easy for me to simply say that Chris Evans is a beautiful man and leave it at that. However, I will argue that there is actually considerable beauty in the way that these scenes in this section are composed, especially the first time that we properly see Captain America hit Thanos with the hammer via an uppercut. Quite a lovely vision, actually. Thirdly, in addition to his ability to wield Mjolnir, Rogers is also able to control lightning as if he were the Norse god himself. Fourthly, throughout the entirety of the first three phases of the MCU, Steve Rogers is associated with uncommon virtue, which is why he is often chosen by his peers to lead in battle. Finally, Mjolnir provides a very important element of the supernatural, an a priori designation of worthiness that reinforces our choice of Captain America as worthy leader. In my opinion, this scene qualifies as a site for the potential of awe. However, it must be viewed within the context of the previous films. There must be proper anticipation and event prediction for it to achieve its full effect. Nonetheless, I believe that the MCU has provided a kind of model for a better understanding of how we can produce awe as a type of cinema therapy, especially for young adults. I believe that neo-modern despair is currently our greatest threat, especially to Generation Z. Social media is not going away anytime soon. Our children will continue to be bombarded with information at every hour of the day, consciously self-aware of their iniquities, of their potential for failure, fed cynicism, and given little time to digest through reflection that what they are consuming on social media and in the culture is altering their perceptions of what it means to not simply be human, but to experience humanity. They will continually feel the neo-modern temptation to contract into the confines of the self. In doing so, they will become Shakespeare's Hamlet, kings of infinite space, but haunted by bad dreams. But as Bonner and Friedman note, the experience of awe has the tendency to halt the continual flow of mental chatter that inhibits our ability to perceive the world about us as it occurs in the present. 
With the mind focused on the future or the past, the present is obfuscated. But awe has the capacity to clear the mental obstruction, allowing us to become fully focused on the here and now. We have the means to quiet the chatter, to halt the bad dreams. We have heroes. We have awe. Well, I hope you enjoyed my paper. If you have thoughts, comments, go ahead and leave them in the comment section below. Like I said, I've received good feedback and I've received constructive feedback as well. And if there are certain things that you'd like to hear more about, let me know about that as well in the comments. I'll try to address them as best as I can. I will say that this research that I'm doing now is something that I believe in quite a, quite a lot, actually. I do think that in order to get past the polarization that we see, the despair, the increased numbers of suicide, depression, anxiety, I don't think we can philosophize our way out of this. And this is coming from someone who studies language and philosophy for a living. I think we need to experience our way out of this. We need ways to positively connect with each other, to remind each other that we are connected as a species and that we do our greatest work when we work together. I hope that my paper has at least put that into your mind, that you should seek out things, whether it's music, movies, family, nature. Seek out things that can produce awe within you. Until next time, Try to keep one foot firmly planted on neutral ground and have a great day.